This is On The Tee Golf New Zealand Podcast, hosted by Tom Hyde and Brendan Telfer. Proudly presented by Podcasts New Zealand and Gorilla Voice Media. Well, hello again and welcome to our fortnightly golf podcast on the tee. I'm Brendan Telfer along with my co-host Tom Hyde. And today, Tom, we're going to look at a course most Auckland golfers, I'm sure, are very familiar with, the Golf Harbour Country Club, as it's now known, situated out there on the tip of the Whangaparaua Peninsula. And for that reason, it affords some of the most arresting views of the Hauraki Golf you'll see from any vintage point. On the tee, of course, comes to you in association with JK's World of Golf out there at Nixit Road at Auckland International Airport. Their mega shop and driving range open. 24-7. Check them out at jksworldofgolf.co.nz. And not to forget our friends at the Akarana Golf Club, just 10 minutes from the airport. Check out their great online deals at akaranagolf.co.nz if you're looking for a round of golf in the Queen City. Okay, so it's time to head to the golf and to talk some golf. Well, Tom, it's been open for 24 years. I guess mm. you and I, between us, have played umpteen rounds of golf in Golf Harbour, and um, it hasn't changed at all. I know all sorts of things have been going on with the ownership of the course. Right. Um, and some various interesting models that um, we'll discuss with our guest today, Fraser Bond. But um, the course itself, I don't think, has changed at all, has it? No, not at all. I, in terms of the basic layout, uh, front nine, I you know was going through the new residential area, which you know is now separate from the golf course. They're all tied into one another when the course opened in the late nineties, and the back nine remains as spectacular as it mm. was mm. Uh, always. I mean, you know, the fifteen through eight. You can't beat in terms of its views, its challenge. Um, so I'm not surprised that, the, and I think it's a great thing that the Charles Tour just settled in there this yeah, past yeah. weekend, and that was quite a success. Fraser Bond, our director of golf out there, will tell us more about that. But no, it hasn't changed much, and and I don't know why it would, frankly, because it works. It seems to be working for the members, mm. and mm. as I think Fraser will tell us, the membership is really quite healthy. And on that note, we say a very good afternoon to uh, Fraser Bond, who is the resident pro director of golf at Golf Harbour as well. And uh, Fraser, I think we should sh- start with this remarkable round of golf that I'm sure you witnessed out there at Golf Harbour recently, when uh, Ryan Fox shot 62 on the last day to win the Golf Harbour Open. Uh, tell us from a professional point of view as a fellow pro uh, I don't know whether you would have seen too many rounds of golf anywhere much better than that would you? No, that was uh, that was that round was unreal, and uh, I was definitely out there watching and uh, enjoying that last round, and um, it made me feel quite uh, bad about my golf and all the rounds <laughs> that I played there because yeah. that was that was just scary scary to watch. It was um, it was awesome. Like it got everyone excited, and I think there was uh, about I don't know maybe a, the biggest uptake we've seen all year of members on the driving range uh, this Monday <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. getting ready. So it's been it's been awesome. Um, it, was, it was so good for the for everyone in the club, and I think we're just in or um, when we're out there um, especially with Ryan and his power off the tee, it's so sort of Kiwi, just rip it down the middle and yeah. work it out from there. Yeah, on that and, note, um, yeah, go ahead Yeah, I, I was just wondering no, I was just, wondering, to me. just wondering sorry, if you just, rem- remember a hole that Ryan played uh, that was exceptional in your memory, maybe a, 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 an eagle on a par 5 or something like that yeah, so there was actually there was a couple of shots that he hit uh, very quickly. It was um, on the fifth hole, which is a par four up on the back nine. There, um, he drove it to about like ten meters out, which I think is like three thirty down there, <laughs> and then hit this little handsy chip that I thought was I thought he flubbed it, but apparently it was what he was trying to do, and it just dribbled in like perfect center cup, and he made eagle on this par four for two. 
Um, then he went down the sixth hole. I think he hit driver gap wedge into this par five by the looks of things, and then hold the putt. So he's gone eagle, eagle on the front <laughs> nine there on five and six. And it's like, all right, all right different game now all of a sudden. Um, uh, so, I, yeah. I, I can recall at the World Cup of Golf, one of the spectacular vantage points was the 16th, I think it is. It's the uh, par four dog leg round to the right, which runs around the clifftop yeah. of mm-hmm. Gulf Harbour. And John Daly couldn't resist the temptation, a bit like Bryson DeChambeau a few weeks ago, trying to drive a par five uh, by taking a shortcut across the water. And Daly tried to drive that green, and he failed, I think, on two occasions. The water, the ball just swallowed by the water. How did Foxy approach that hole? Yeah, he, he ripped it across the corner uh, every day there, uh, which was pretty pretty good. I think that's the only way he can play it. I don't think there's any layup in his mind uh, there ever, and maybe if it's into the wind, but he'll probably just bully it through the wind to get it there. Um, but when we are on the last day, it was so calm out there on the back nine, and we had probably about 200 people following his last group at that time. And he's absolutely crunched driver down there, like as good as I think anyone in the world could hit it. And like no one clapped because the sound <laughs> of it just scared you. I yeah, think yeah. everyone was shocked. And it was like, oh, okay, all right. Um, and yeah, he, he got it up there, and I, I'm pretty sure he made birdie uh, to get. It. I think that's where he got it to ten under. Um, so yeah, that was that was cool to watch when mm-hmm. when you're hitting it that good. Yeah, it's awesome. Jaw dropping. Huh? Do you think the fact that he practices out at Gulf Harbour a lot, and I suppose he plays a few holes out there some days as well? Do you think that might have helped him with some local knowledge that he's perhaps inadvertently acquired? by the time that he spends out there helped him on that round? Yeah, hugely. Um, Ryan's been up here though, over the last few years. I remember like just contacting him when he was coming up here one time, just saying, "Look, whenever you, you're welcome, whenever you want, just come up and and, and play." And um, yeah, he's been up. He's played with um, quite a lot of the younger guys. Um, one of our guys here, Jimmy Hydes, who was the leading amateur. I know he was playing with him the week before, and I think that's really good for those young guys to play with Ryan and, mm. and help up their skills. Uh, we've got a pretty big, uh, or bigish, I guess you could say. We actually offer a professional membership. So pros don't have to call me for courtesy every time they want to come up and play or or practice. They can just feel like another member of the golf club. So there's about 20 of the guys who have professional memberships up here. So they all kind of know each other. And um, when you see like a group go out, you're kind of looking like, man, that's a final round Sunday group. Just mm-hmm. on Friday <laughs> yeah. afternoon. So um, it's, it's great um, up here. We want we welcome all the all the pros for the NZPGA and and internationally. One of the attractions, I'm sure, for the pros and probably also for uh, ordinary club golfers is that you offer this all grass practice facility don't you I'm trying to think and I've been ranking my brain trying to think if I know of another venue or golf course or venue or any location in say Auckland that offers a grass practice facility uh, it's probably unique is it yeah, it's quite unique. There is a few other um, places, but I think the one for us is the size of it. Like, it's 330 metres long, um, so no one's really ever just flying the range. So you can hit whatever you like. Mm. And um, the, the it's quite wide, too. So, like, with that day down there, you could have 60, 70 people warming up at the same time, wow. and it still feels quite spacious. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really big benefit, because you go to some of the Charles Tours, and with the smaller clubs, they've, 
it's quite close and you've got to wait your turn and stuff where you could just go in, hit your shots, feel comfortable and, and walk out to the tee. And it's also open to the public, isn't it? Anyone can bowl up, but you don't have to be a member like is normally the case to use practice facilities at a, at a golf club. But they're usually reserved only for members. But I, if I've got it right, the public can practice up there as well, can't they? Yeah, definitely. If they're um, if they're coming up and they want to buy some range balls, then they can do that, and then have a have a little chipping practice if that's what they want to do. Um, yeah, we invite everyone to come up and, and use the facilities. We want to see everyone getting into golf, and we've got some new members in just from just from talking to them on the range, which has uh, been great over the last year to see some new people doing it. You know, Fraser, when you first opened up there, uh, when the day that Brendan, you know, was the MC for the launch, and I started turning up, and the, the original concept, if I've got it right, was kind Kind of a, a family resort. There was a swimming pool. There was a really fine restaurant. It had a number of uh, additional facilities other than just serving the golf. I think there was a tennis court. Uh, can you review for us now just what, when we talk about the facilities there, what they are? Yeah, yeah. So there's um, still the tennis court here. Uh, there's two tennis courts, um, AstroTurf tennis courts. There's a pool uh, downstairs, uh, indoor pool, which is heated. Uh, it's about 20 metres uh, long. Uh, there's two gym sections um, downstairs and um, then like a, a dance studio that's um, down there as well. And then the upstairs uh, bar um, area is um, actually currently going through a bit of a revamp now with so, so many more people. So mm-hmm. that's looking like it's going to have quite a few more events on. I know we've got our first sort of music event coming up on May the 1st. Mm-hmm. And then the cafe downstairs has all been new, newly redone. Um, I don't know if you would have seen that from the original. The layout is quite different. And um, yeah, they get quite a lot of the public just coming in just for a coffee and maybe a burger and chips and things like that uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, very inviting, very family welcoming at all times. Uh, and is some of this driven by an increase in, in membership or patronage uh, because of uh, the uh, COVID-19, we've seen golf really taking off and memberships taking off. You've had that experience there? Yeah, hugely. I was... um like I quite like uh, dealing with people online through you know your variety of social networks and, and things like that and we got talking to just so many people and actually giving like online lessons quite a lot of the pros that are up here mm-hmm. and that got some people kind of interested into golf and then once we got through COVID we could invite them up mm. and um, they started playing and then I think since people couldn't really go anywhere they started going oh what should I do in my local neighbourhood um, and that's they started taking up golf so we've actually had a rather large um, increase I think, uh, if I remember right, it's about 80 new golfing members in the last year. Very good. Um, which is which is huge. And then there's so, social members too, so gym and pool uh, or just sports, tennis courts and things, is, that's gone up quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. So, Fraser, let's talk about this rather interesting journey that the, the club has been on since it was opened back in 1997. I'm thinking here of the ownership. And it's been through some kind of interesting concepts. At one stage, I think members themselves themselves owned the club and other times it's been leased to an owner. I think the original owner was from Asia. I can't remember whether it was from Korea or Taiwan or or somewhere. And, and uh, on this particular day of the opening, it was envisaged that uh, large numbers of golfers from Asia would come to New Zealand and uh, stay basically on the golf course, on the houses that were being built. But I don't think that ever uh, eventuated. And I think eventually the real estate side of the operation severed itself from the golf club. So What's the situation now? Do the members still have some say in the ownership of the club? 
Uh, no, it's just owned uh, by one owner, which is um, he's had it for the last, uh, what is it now, seven, seven years. Uh, he leased it for the first three years, that part you were talking about, when the members used to own it. Uh, but uh, since 2017, um, it's been run uh, by another one of his companies um, and, yeah, just owned and managed by, by one, one person, essentially. And so has it worked more successfully, has it, by not having to incorporate or not having to manage the sale of houses as well as running a golf club? Oh, hugely. I think, um, like, from the outside looking in or even from where I am standing now, I mean, having that knowledge of housing around the golf course that you own and control, especially for money coming in, it would really help offset quite a lot of the cost for a golf course. Um, so it is a little bit annoying, I guess, to, to not have that part of the, uh, the club available to us. Um, but it means that we then aren't stretching ourselves thin and we're just focusing on our, our core components, which mm. is the golf course and which is the people that are there. So it's kind of like a, a, a lose win, but I think for the people um, we actually win win more. Yeah, you know, Brendan, I would ask you, you know, Paul, times we've been around New Zealand and I'm thinking not only Gulf Harbor, Pawanui, other places in the South Island, has the golf real estate combination really ever worked anywhere? I don't know whether it has. I think it has uh, been hugely difficult, I think, for a lot of these venues. I think of Kinlock, uh, I think yeah, of Kinlock, um, yeah. um, Millbrook, I think is another example. Yeah. Hills is a bit different because it's owned, or the land is owned by Michael Hills and he's mm. comfortable with that concept. Mm. Uh, but there's quite a few clubs around that um, resort courses. And, in fact, I remember talking uh, – this is before your time, Fraser – at the opening, there was a Robert Trent Jones Jr. came down for the oh, opening. Oh, really? He designed, and of course. The designer, yeah. yeah. And, of course, he's from that f- – famous family. His yeah. father was a renowned golf course designer as well. And I remember having a discussion with him, trying to have an intelligent discussion with this fellow. Um, and he said to me, the only way resort courses can work is through the sale of houses. That if you expect a resort course to pay its way simply by membership and uh, other income streams around uh, the actual golf club, they'll fail. Mm. That uh, you've got to sell the properties, that produces the, the money, which eventually will fund the club and so he was of the opinion that it was the right idea then but as time has shown that maybe the market in New Zealand isn't big enough but I did remember talking to him also about the course that he designed and he told me, I've never heard this expression before that he specialises and I'm interested to hear Fraser's point on this, he specialises and I guess he got this from his father in dynamic golf course architecture he likes to build dynamic courses that give you a very kind of um, strong impression visually and aesthetic um, with the white sands, the palm trees, uh, these kind of kind of different ideas that he incorporates into every golf course. And I was thinking, well, the problem with that idea, I suppose, to some degree, is it doesn't matter where you go, every golf course looks the same. Mm. Um, do you uh, kind of see where Trent Jones is coming from with that idea of the dynamic golf course look, Fraser? Um, yeah, I can. I wouldn't say I'm a massive um, like follower of designers and golf courses. Probably more than I should be. I probably haven't been around on the on the earth long enough yet. I'm um, starting to learn a little bit more, but especially here at Gulf Harbour, like. 
every hole just kind of frightens you slash excites you off the tee because I think you can see a chance to get one up on the course but then it can bite back pretty fast and then some of the bunker placement and things like that are never in play but they just look like they're there mm. to really sort of grab your golf ball and yeah some of the slopes some of the shapes and the angles and the hills make it look way narrower than it is so I get what you're saying and uh, what, what he's trying to trying to imply there so yeah talking about your time on earth that's a really existential sort of question here Frazier but <laughs> what is your background in golf can you summarize for us I mean you pretty much grew up at Golf Harbor is that right yeah, yeah, I've been around at Golf Harbour for quite some time. Um, I actually, my grandparents got into golf when the first golf, uh, when this first actually opened. And I guess that's where I got my first sort of taste for golf, and I mm-hmm. uh, got to watch a couple of the uh, the uh, pros come over, like John Daly, and, and try rip it across the across the gap there on 16, and hit it over the back on 12 a couple of times too. Um, and yeah, that was my first sort of taste. But they didn't really have a golfing background; they were just starting to to learn. They got into Golf Harbour mainly for the boating sort of side of things. Um, I went to school here and uh, played a little bit of golf in school, but I wouldn't what say school I was is that? ever any good. Uh, Wentworth College, just okay. down the road here in Golf Harbour, there and Golf Harbour School here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then played a little bit of golf in school for Wentworth there, but I wouldn't say I was any like very, very good. So maybe like a 10 or a, maybe a 7 handicap uh, around that sort of a range. Um, then came out of school, uh, was really into my snowboarding, um, didn't really play any golf, and started as a bar manager in the in the CBD, and then the club actually needed some help up here. So I was working for them in the bar up here, and some of my mates came and played, and I said, well, I'll come out for a round, and that kind of got my love back into golf, and mm-hmm. I was kind of like, wow, playing golf with your, your friends is real fun. And um, I don't know, I just kind of got really super addicted to it, like in the space of like a, a month. And for like six or seven months, I probably practiced every day, tried to learn as much as I could. And my handicap came right down to probably like single single digits in, in, the, in a year. And I was really enjoying playing and talking to the guys in the shop. They offered me a job uh, in the shop because I kind of knew them. So I started working, learning about a bit of golf equipment. And then the year after that, I applied for my professional uh my traineeship there with the nzpga mm-hmm. um probably thinking it was easier than what it was because um it was way harder than when i thought i wish i probably played one more year as an amateur <laughs> and learned how to play a bit more golf uh better uh, but got through that over over four years and um yeah then yeah f- fully qualified at the end at the beginning of 2017 yeah good on you yeah so yeah the other name that I the other name that I associate with a golf harbour simply because I can see her uh, on the practice putting green there uh, with her Kiwi coach many years ago was Lydia Ko who spent a lot of time rather mm-hmm. like Ryan Fox didn't she she spent a lot of time there in her early days when she was making her name as a golfer. Tons and tons of time. Oh, yeah, I was here when she was up here doing that, um, working with um, Guy Wilson up here um, mm-hmm. to become a golfer and her family and such. And yeah, that, that kid loves to practice. Oh my God. It was dawn till dusk. She'd be chipping or putting. Uh, never really went to the range, funny enough. But I guess that what's, that's what makes you quite good at golf. Um, hours and hours on the putting green. But she just like loved playing golf here. And um, when she got a, a, when she just started going overseas, I remember one day. I had to actually regrip her, her golf clubs and her dad probably stood about 
three inches from me as I regrip three <laughs> golf clubs that I can feel his breath. I've never been so nervous as a trainee in my life because that was just after she uh, she won the uh, Canadian Open. So, um, yeah, and, it, was, uh, it was great having up here. I learned so much. And what a remarkable coincidence then, isn't it? When you think about these two golfers who have been talking about yeah. here, Ryan Fox and Lydia Ko, and the time that they spent on this world-class golf course out there honing their game, and what happened last weekend? They both shot 62s. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the question, Fraser, of course, is does it have anything to do with the grips? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I'm, maybe she's still using the same grip, so I put them on pretty straight, I think. Um, but I, but, yeah, I, but I, no. I guess there is something there, isn't it, that if you're playing that course regularly, and certainly when the wind blows, it's a very different course from when it's dead calm. And so you are learning, whether you like it or not, if you're out there every day, in the case of both Fox and Co., yep. um, that they probably learnt skills, and in the case of Ryan, still acquiring skills that come with the actual venue you're practicing on. Yeah, hugely. And um, I guess like a real recent example that we could probably all jump on pretty early is, um, like I was saying, our lead amateur last week, uh, Jimmy Hydes, he actually won the Mirawai Open, which is being played uh, this week over at Mirawai Golf Club. He won that as an amateur last year, which I think he's the seventh ever amateur to win a Charles mm. Tour event. So he came tied second here with Josh Geary um, last week at 16 under. Um, and when you shoot 16 under to lose by seven shots, it must be kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. How old is <laughs> He? Um, he's, he's, I think he's 20, 21 now. Okay. Um, and he's still, he's, he's been picked for the New Zealand team, but he's been up at Gulf Harbour here. He's worked in the pro shop um, with me for the last like three years. Hmm. And I think that that time where you can just go and hang out on the here, play every day, um, and it's a proper championship golf course, I think you're right. It does really hone in your skills. And hmm. just from him alone, I think we can start to see that starting to happen. Um, and maybe we'll have another Ryan Fox we talk about and maybe another six for seven years. Mm-hmm. And I guess also, Frazier, this is a little bit out of my league, but I imagine for guys, you know, for pros, male or female, being able to practice on a grass fairway, uh, you learn to do a lot more with the ball. You learn to control the, the flight of the ball a lot more when you're having to hit it off grass and take a divot or part of a divot, divot as opposed to hitting it off a synthetic surface at a driving, in a driving range bay. Oh, yeah, it's it's huge. Like, I don't think people understand how, how much more beneficial it is, especially when it comes down to your short irons, uh, when you're hitting your wedges and mm, such. Mm. I mean, that's where you really you – don't, you don't get – like, off a mat, you can kind of catch it fat and it still goes all right, um, where yeah. if you catch it fat on the grass, it digs in the ground and mm-hmm. the ball goes nowhere and you feel real bad about yourself and then you go get a lesson, I guess. Um, but, yeah, this is – having the all-grass range, and since we've got a massive tee box, it means if we start in – uh, one of our corners, uh, day one. By the time we use all of the driving range and go back to the beginning again, it's been about 42 days. So the grass has had plenty oh. of time to heal. So yeah. we've got grass that's pure on the driving range all year round. Yeah, I was going to mention that. It must be expensive, is it, to maintain a driving range and all grass one as opposed to synthetic? Yeah, but um, there's some things that, I mean, the range looks after itself. I mean, people love going down there, hitting balls and, and, and using it. But, I mean, if you can give someone the experience of coming up here and playing it, I don't really think you can put a price on that. Warming up properly and then stepping on the first tee is is a huge, huge benefit. Hitting into a net a couple of times or hitting off a mat and then feeling like you're ready to go yeah. just doesn't yeah doesn't really make sense. Yeah, you know. It's special, it's special up here. You want to enjoy your day. Yeah, it really is. I agree from having done that 
that myself and Brenda, we, what we just touched on is the same thing about what golfers of the world, and I, I've been there, we, we go to a driving range with an artificial surface and we kill it. Mm. We think, my mm. God, I'm ready for the tour. Mm. You know, I, mm. I'm really killing it off the tour. You know? <laughs> and then you go out and actually play on a grass course and nothing happens. You think, well, what's, what's, what's yeah, happened here? I was, I, was hitting, I was hitting them yeah. pure at the yeah. driving range yeah. yesterday. Yeah, now, yeah. now I can't get it off the ground. Yeah. Yes, and I, I think that I think that that point you and uh, Fraser are just making is that there's a completely different experience with yeah. the surfaces, and the artificial surface is just that it's artificial, it's not real, and maybe that's why driving ranges are so popular and why people keep going back and never actually maybe play around a golf because the ego is served better off an artificial surface. Well, I, I think it would be nice, and it's easy for me to say that sitting here in a, in a studio, that if more golf courses could provide grass facilities rather yeah. than the artificial synthetic surfaces, I mean. Okay, hitting it off a synthetic surface is better than not hitting it at all, I suppose. Mm. Uh, at least you're actually going through the motions of a, of a, a swing mm. uh, 50 or 100 times, depending on how many balls you get. But I, I do get frustrated with driving ranges that, uh, okay, for driving it's okay. You've got a tee there and that's fine. It's yeah. By and large, there's no great issue there. But for the rest of the clubs in your bag, um, it can be quite a... <laughs> Uh, well, you, how would anybody, uh, Frazier, I'll ask you this question. How could anybody learn to draw or fade uh, with an iron off an artificial surface? I don't think they can do it, can they? Uh, yeah, they can. Um, okay. And I guess it depends where you kind of get to. Um, it's kind of weird because once you sort of, I guess, understand the golf swing, it's probably easier to draw and slice it and hook it and fade it off, off an artificial because you can okay. press it way better. Mm-hmm. But off the dirt, then you can't really do that as much. I think it's more that, especially when players start out, like you're, if you're new to the game, if you're coming quite steep at the golf ball and you're hitting the ground a lot, especially on artificial turf, you start ruining your wrists. You start, oh. Your arms start to hurt. That's a good one. And then one, all yeah. of a sudden, if you, if you if you hit 100, 200 balls like some people do at a driving range off like a, a firm sort of a surface, you, you're not going to really want to play golf that much if you're, <laughs> if you're starting to get worn out. you got to wake yeah. up the next day, your arms hurt, you go, well, stuff this. Mm. Um, so off the grass, I think that's sort of your benefit. And you also get to see a bit more of the ball flight as a true flight because mm. when you hit it off the grass, the spin is completely different with a golf ball. And, mm. and, and so how, the ball will spin properly. Or, yeah. And how many times do we see, Tom and Fraser, when you're watching television, we'll see it this week at this major championship, where a, one of the world's leading golfers hits a ball and it goes straight uh, into the bushes somewhere down the right-hand side of the fairway, and the commentator will say, well, he was playing for the right to left, he was playing for the draw, but mm. it didn't draw. <laughs> you hear that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. you think, well, hold yeah. on, this guy's <laughs> the best golfers in the world and he can't even draw the ball. Mm. What, 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 what hope is there for me? Yeah. But listening to what Frazier is saying there, that that's right, if, he was, if he'd hit that ball in the driving range, it probably would have gone right to left, mm. but a golf yeah. course isn't a driving range, and as yeah. you say, the, the grass, the, the lie of the grass, the slope, the, I suppose, mm. the, the amount of grass around the ball, all of these things, you've got to kind of take into account when you're playing in a tournament. Yeah, you know, on that note, uh, Frazier, when you were boy, four years getting your uh, PGA card, um, mm-hmm. and finally you get the card, did you have in that time to demonstrate shot making, or uh, did you have, was there a written test? I mean, what kind of both practical and theoretical kinds of things you go through to get a PGA card these days? 
Yeah, so the um, New Zealand's actually one of the, the higher ones up the chain for like how good the, the course is. I think there's only, maybe it's just um, the US who's above us, and then I think it might be England. I'm not 100% sure on that, but uh, we do like a business management course. You do um, like biomechanics. You do uh, like golf, like physics for, for golf, so like sciences and things like that, um, like how to build clubs, um, uh, a mental side where you break down psychology and such. Um, and then there's a playing of uh, aptitude that you have to do throughout the year as well. We have to maintain. I'm pretty sure for the guys, um, it's a 3.5 handicap or less, and um, yeah, you play that throughout the year whilst working 40 hours in a pro shop, whilst giving lessons, mm. um, and then one day you have to go out and play play golf. So there's quite a lot, and it's a really? three-year sort of cycle. That's the fastest you can you can do it in mm-hmm. um, for a full traineeship. I think at the moment we've actually got the NZ. Um, PGA uh, trainees coming up for their yearly mid-year school where they come from all over the country next week. Oh, very so we'll good. we'll have uh, 50 of them up here um, all learning new skill sets and such. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot, lot to it. It's um, it's I don't think people realize that some of the guys that have actually learnt and have become a professional through that, how much they actually know. Um, and some of the ones that are out there, they might not be the best of golfers. You know, like they might be as good as any sort of five handicaps, but they will be the best of coaches by a mile because mm. like just the knowledge they have on the biomechanics the golf science club building alone uh, puts them well well ahead of everyone else oh nice point yeah very good Fraser it's been very fascinating very interesting yeah, thank you uh, in the uh, very colourful and uh, fascinating history of the Golf Harbour Country Club as it's now called not the Golf Harbour Golf Course anymore it's the Golf Harbour Country Club and just remember that if you are wanting to improve your game think long and hard about the added benefits you can get from practicing on a grass practice facility which is what they offer out there at Golf Harbour you won't find too many more of them around in my experience uh, that's for sure which is why sometimes I go to golf I go to race courses while well, you break your wrist eh? <laughs> yeah no no there's a there's a couple of race courses around where you can sneak on and, oh, yeah. and hit the ball in the middle because oh, yeah. they're really okay. out of grass but anyway uh, Fraser if it wasn't for this damn traffic in Auckland I'd probably be on the freeway in five minutes driving out to Golf Harbour to get onto that practice fairway it's um, something I really enjoy but thank you very much indeed for your time much appreciated and we wish you and your course all the best for the future and thank you for your time thank you very much guys it's been a pleasure that is uh, Fraser Bond, the Director of Golf at the Gulf Harbour Country Club. And that's our podcast here at On The Tee uh, for this week. Uh, we'll be back again in a fortnight's time talking more golf with uh, interesting people in the golfing world here in New Zealand. And we come to you, of course, courtesy of our friends JK's World of Golf out there at Nixon Road, jksworldofgolf.co.nz, and the Akarana Golf Club, just 10 minutes from the airport. Check them out for some great online deals as well, akaranagolf.co.nz. In the meantime... Thank you for your time and good golfing. You've been listening to On The Tee Golf New Zealand podcast, hosted by Tom Hyde and Brendan Telfer, proudly presented by Podcasts New Zealand and Gorilla Voice Media. You can find us online at podcasts.nz.com.